Good evening. Welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, November 11th, 2021, and I am so grateful to every one of you for joining and for allowing me the opportunity to study with you tonight on Zoom. Maybe this is something that you go through. I see it within myself. I find that I vacillate through my life between thinking I am accomplishing something significant and then feeling unsatisfied or disappointed with what I am accomplishing. So there's a lesson in our Parsha from Rabbi David Tversky that I really need to absorb and integrate into my thinking and hopefully sharing it with you will help. At the beginning of our parsha Vayetze, Yaakov has just left home on his way to Charon Vayachalom and he has a dream. Vihine sulam the dream is of a ladder whose foot rests on the ground. Verosha magia and the top of the ladder reaches heaven. Now, a couple of times this week we have discussed this image of the dream, the ladder. We talked about it in the context of prayer. But as I mentioned, it is important on many different levels. And Rabbi Tversky's insight into this image is that we need to maintain a very careful and delicate balance in life. There's a ladder and it's set on the ground and the top reaches to heaven. That ladder is a metaphor for the way we should think about ourselves. When a person is too proud, veering towards arrogance, and the person thinks, wow, my head is in heaven. I'm almost as high as God. That's the moment when I need to remind myself that the ladder is set on the ground. And I am on the ground. And I am destined to remain on the ground. But at times when I feel low, I feel down in the dumps, then I need to be reminded I'm created in God's image. I am a unique and superb human being, not because of me, but just like you, because all of us are created in God's image. And I need to say to myself, 
if I just lift up my head, I can reach heaven. That's the dichotomy, the ironic dichotomy of human existence. But the point is, a person needs to know, I need to know for myself when to adopt each of these differing spiritual stances, each in its appropriate time. And this is very similar to a famous teaching of the Hasidic Rebbe, Reb Simcha Bunim. He said that each person should take two small pieces of paper and should write something on each of the pieces of paper and carry those pieces of paper in their pocket so that they can always take it out and look at it and be reminded of the truth of what's on that paper. On one piece of paper, we should write the words, Ani afar ve'efer, I am dust on the earth. I'm nothing. I'm a speck. On the other piece of paper, I should write, Bishvili nivraha olam, the words of our sages, because of me, for my benefit, the entire world was created. One piece of paper in one pocket and the other piece of paper in the other pocket. And from time to time, a person will take out the piece of paper to remember the lesson. Of course, the key is to know at each moment which pocket to choose. But the goal, of course, is to balance, not the extreme in either direction. We are a speck and we are the one deserving of all creation. We are low and we are high. And we need to use both of those insights like Yaakov's ladder, to balance our lives with what we need at any given moment. I want to share a second piece that's a little bit longer. <clears throat> Throughout the centuries, the Jewish people have developed unique relationships with some of the personalities in the Torah, some more vividly than others. Perhaps the most tender, the most emotional connection is with Rachel, Yaakov's wife, who we meet near the beginning of our Parsha. Rachel is the one Yaakov chose to marry first, the one with whom he fell in love first. But it turned out that Rachel was not married to Yaakov first. 
Her older sister Leah was married to Yaakov first. Only later did Rachel become Yaakov's wife. You see this connection we have with Rachel in particular when you have the great privilege to visit Kever Rachel, the burial place of Rachel, which is in Beis Lechem, Bethlehem, just south of Yerushalayim. Now, people go to many burial places of holy Jews, but nowhere else, when you go to Kever Rachel, nowhere else will you see the emotion, the beseeching you will find there. This is reflected in a special name by which Rachel is known. This name is not in the Torah. It is not officially granted or bestowed. It is organically the phrase by which centuries of Jews have come to refer to this remarkable woman. Rachel is all often referred to with love and endearment as Mama Rachel, our mother, Rachel. Mom, Rachel is our mom. Naomi Levenstein wrote the following words, There is something in the personality of our mother Rachel, in the story of her life, that says to us, to every one of her children, to you and to me, You can tell me everything. You can tell me about every pain, every difficulty, every sorrow, every agony. I understand. I know exactly what you mean. That's Mama Rachel. That's our mom. So let's discuss what helps to lead to this relationship. Our parsha describes Yaakov travels to his mother's family. He meets and falls in love with Rachel. He asks her father, his uncle Lavan, for permission to marry her. Lavan agrees, but says that Yaakov must work first for Lavan for seven years. Finally, the day of the, many, the wedding arrives, and Lavan fraudulently substitutes Leah, Rachel's older sister, at the wedding. And so it ends up that Yaakov is married to Leah, not to Rachel. Later, Yaakov marries Rachel also. But let's focus now on the deception itself, because how do you pull off marrying off the wrong daughter? How do you end up marrying the wrong person. 
Well, perhaps the veil plays some kind of a role. Maybe a lack of lighting was involved in some way. But there is a curious phrase in the text of the Torah. The morning after the wedding, the Torah says in our Parsha, and it was in the morning, behold, Yaakov sees he's married to Leah. And Yaakov says to love on his father-in-law, what did you do to me? Now, our rabbis noticed a very subtle point in the text. And it was in the morning that she was Leah. It was only in the morning that Yaakov realized he had been tricked. How did he not realize the night before? How did he not realize the night of the wedding, who he was married to? So our rabbis provide a remarkable backstory. Our rabbis tell us that Yaakov suspected Lavan of doing something like this. He knew that Lavan was not a straightforward, honest person. And therefore, Yaakov had a plan with Rachel. Yaakov and Rachel had a password that Rachel was to say to Yaakov under the chuppah. And since that conversation was only between the two of them, no one else knew about these words. So when Yaakov would hear these words, he would know that Lavan had not been able to trick him because it must be Rachel. She's the only other person that knew the words. But when Rachel saw what her father was doing, that he was planning to substitute Leah in her place. And he was going to cause that it would be Leah who would walk down the aisle and Leah who would stand under the chuppah when she saw what her father was about to do. Amra, she said to herself, Achshav, What's going to happen is my sister is going to be embarrassed because if she ends up under the chuppah and she doesn't say the right words and Yaakov will discover it's not me, it's my sister Leah and there'll be a big scandal. Yaakov won't want to go ahead with it and Leah, my sister, will be embarrassed. She'll be shamed. Amda umasra la osan simanim. Rachel told the words to Leah. So that night, Yaakov heard the correct words. That night, Yaakov thought he had married Rachel because of the words that he heard. It was only in the morning 
that he realized he had married Leah. Now this stands for all time as one of the great acts of selflessness. Rachel didn't know that she would marry Yaakov later. In her mind, she was giving up her only opportunity to marry the man she loved and who loved her. All of that in order to prevent her sister from embarrassment. That is a profoundly beautiful act. But now let's ask two questions. Okay, Rachel is amazing, no question. But why did Leah agree to take the words from Rachel? Didn't Leah feel guilty tricking Yaakov? Didn't Leah feel shame forever knowing that Yaakov actually did not choose her? What kind of a favor is that for Rachel to do to Leah for the rest of her life? Leah would know that she was not the one that Yaakov really wanted and she's only married to him because of this trickery. Why would she agree to it under those circumstances? And a second question. Very strange. There's a short narrative later in our Parsha that seems completely incomprehensible. Okay, so Yaakov is married to Leah. Later, Yaakov also marries Rachel. And Leah and Rachel are rivals. They are rivals for Yaakov's attention. They are rivals for children. And they are rivals for affection and love. Years go by. Leah has had children. Rachel has not yet been blessed with children. Leah gives birth to her first son, whose name is Reuven and goes on to have others. Rachel is still childless. Vayelech Reuven b'meikziachitim. Reuven, I guess he was a little boy. He went out during the time of the harvest. Vayimsa dudaim basodeh. And he found jasmine growing in the field. Vayoveo samalea imo. And he brought the sweet-smelling jasmine to his mother Leah. A beautiful act of a child. Vatomer Rachel Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Tini na li mi Leah, please give me some of the jasmine that your son brought to you. It smells so sweet. Could I have some? Vatomer lo, Leah says to Rachel, Hamaat kaktech es ishi? You tried to take away my husband? Vlakachas gamas dudei b'ni? You also want to take away the jasmine that my son brought to me? 
hold on a minute. There's something that does not compute here. Leah says to Rachel, right? Rachel says, can I have some of the sweet-smelling jasmine? And Leah says to Rachel, you, by marrying Yaakov, after I was already married to him, you already taken from me Yaakov's undivided attention and affection? And now you also want to take from me the sweet-smelling jasmine that my son Ruvain brought for me? Rachel took Leah, took Yaakov away from Leah? Wait a second. It was only because of Rachel that Leah was married to Yaakov in the first place. Rachel was supposed to be the only wife. Not only the first wife, the only wife. That was the intention. That was the idea. It's only because of Rachel's selflessness that Leah was married to Yaakov to begin with. How could Leah forget what Rachel sacrificed so that she, Leah, would be able to marry Yaakov? How could Leah ever forget Rachel's selflessness? All to protect Leah from shame? Where is Leah's gratitude? Where is her appreciation? How could she complain like this? So allow me to share with you an insight from Rabbi Sholem Shvadron because this changes the whole story. Leah never knew. There were only three people who knew that Rachel was supposed to marry Yaakov. Lavan, her father, who at first agreed to the marriage when Yaakov asked him. Yaakov, who asked Rachel to marry him. And Rachel, who agreed to marry Yaakov. Those are the only three who ever knew about that relationship. In other words, not only did Rachel protect Leah from being embarrassed at the wedding, Rachel let Leah believe that she was and always had been the entire, the intended bride forever. She never told Leah what had happened. She gave Leah the words, but she didn't say to them, this is the secret passage, password by which Yaakov is going to know that you're the right wife. She told her these words as a way of saying, Leah, this is something that you need to know. You need to know these words. Leah never knew that Rachel was engaged to Yaakov. And she never found out that there had been an engagement before her marriage to Yaakov. Which means that Leah did see Rachel as the second wife. As a threat to her favored first wife status because she never knew that in fact Rachel was 
the beloved wife. And that means that this story is no longer a one-time story. This was not just an act of selflessness that Rachel did for the night of the wedding. This was an ongoing act of selflessness that continued for the rest of their lives. A continuous refusal on the part of Rachel to divulge what really happened. Can you imagine how many times Rachel must have been tested because there was rivalry, like with the jasmine? Can you imagine how many times she wanted just to say, but, but I was the one. You're only here because of me. But she didn't do that. Instead, she, she chose to be forever involved in this secret, ongoing mitzvah of every moment for the rest of her life. And Rachel's secret remained even in death. Leah is buried alongside Yaakov, where she would have expected to be buried as his first chosen wife. Rachel is buried alone, miles away, near Beis Lechem, just south of Yerushalayim. Our rabbis in the Medrash connect this fact to a heavenly confrontation and a prophet of Yermio, the prophet Jeremiah. Later in Jewish history, during the first temple period, when the spiritual level of the Jewish people declined, some Jews even began to worship idols, angering God over this rivalry, choosing idols over God. And God planned to destroy the Jewish people, God forbid, to end the Jewish story. Our rabbis in the Medrash describe how one by one the souls of the patriarchs and the matriarchs came before God to plead for mercy, to relent from destroying their children, and God ignored the pleas of all of them until the soul of Rachel came before God. And Rachel said, Master of the universe, surely your mercy is greater than the mercy of any human. But when I was faced with a rival, when my father Lavan substituted Leah for me to marry Yaakov, not only did I remain silent, I gave Leah the words so she would not be embarrassed. I allowed a rival to come between me and my beloved, to come into 
the home that should have been mine and I maintain that so that Leah never even knew if I, Rachel says to God, as a human being and capable of that, surely you, God, should do the same when your children, my children, have chosen a rival. Surely you, God, must find a way to forgive them. And God said to her, Rachel, you have defended them well. I will send them into exile for what they have done, but I will not destroy them. I will bring them back to Israel. Rachel is buried along the road between Yerushalayim and Hebron, the road the Jewish people traveled as they went into exile, and Rachel's soul cried for them as they passed her grave. But through the prophet Yermio, God makes this promise. Come, Arashem. Thus does God say, Call Barama Nishma. A voice is heard in Ramah, the place where Rachel is buried. Nihi ubechi samrurim. Bitter, bitter tears. Rachel mevaka al me'ana lihinachem al Rachel is crying for her children. She refuses to be consoled for they are gone. She has watched them walk into exile past her grave. Ka mar Hashem, thus does God say, Min ikolech mi bechi, Rachel, still your voice from crying. Ve'einayach mi dima, and refrain your eyes from shedding tears. Ki yesh there will be a response to your defense of the Jewish people. Veshavu me'eret oyev. They will return from an enemy land. V'yesh tikfalachari seichnu Hashem. And God says, there is hope for your children ultimately. Veshavu vanim ligvulam. Your children will return to their borders. And today, almost 4,000 years later, Rachel's secret remains hidden from Leah, with Rachel buried far away from her. Leah and Yaakov in Hebron. Rachel, miles away in Beis Lechem. Rachel's selflessness remains for us a guide in how we should try to act. And Rachel's legacy is the woman who would do anything for her children.
anything for her sister and never tell. And that's how that place, Kever Rachel, the burial place of Rachel, became not just holy, but cherished by the Jewish people till this day. Because there is buried Mama Rachel. That's what is in the story of her life that says to us, to every one of her children, you can tell me everything. You can tell me about every pain, every difficulty, every sorrow, every agony. I understand. <coughs> I know exactly what you mean. And Naomi Levenstein concludes by writing, because there are two ways to experience suffering, either to sink into bitterness or to rise up to the greatest heights. Rachel was never broken. She built herself up. Rachel was transformed within her anguish into Mama Rachel, into our mother, into mom of every single one of us. She exercised restraint for the rest of her life. And so until today, her children do not turn to her only in order to pour out their hearts, but also in order to gather strength. Rachel teaches not only what suffering can take from us, but what it can give. That's the strength we have because of our mom, Mama Rachel. My friends, I want to wish you a beautiful evening and a great Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing each one of you soon in person.